0: No one can escape their destiny.
1: We thought we just kind of cut to the chase right there. It's, it's a very, when you have one line that summarizes the story so well, you just got to roll with it, right? <laughs> Geralt the Witcher, on the outskirts of Brocklon Forest, observes the dead body of what he estimates is a 15-year-old boy. The distinctly marked arrow buried deep in his eye and the other arrow nearby reveal that this deed was done by dryads. Human-slash-dryad relations have probably never been good, and that poor relationship seems to be getting worse. Geralt, given his extended lifespan, is a witness to some of this progress, a word used cynically in this context by all involved. For that and other reasons that make him seem less human in the eyes of many, such as his eyes, Geralt himself is not treated to the murderous greeting reserved for, quote, normal humans. He's known to them, some of them anyway, by the nickname Gwynblaith. This partial immunity and familiarity, this ability to cross into their territory is part of why he's been hired by Vensloth, king of Brugge, to negotiate with Eithne, the ruler of Brockalon. To negotiate with her is a challenge perhaps so great that it's mm, essentially impossible for the dryads of Brock Lawn do not recognize humanity in a manner conducive to treaties and agreements. For one, the dryads don't trust humans to adhere to a long-term agreement because humans themselves don't live very long to them. What good is a deal marked for all time when all time actually means a generation at most a human generation? Mind you, that is the heart of the matter. Negotiation requires understanding and Understanding requires communication, and how can one communicate when humans are not even permitted in the vicinity of the Dryad's home? How can one affix borders when the Dryads do not recognize human claims in the first place? How can one find understanding when that which humanity holds most precious, its children, are treated with utter disdain by the Dryads? Not only will Dryads kill children for mere harmless trespassing, a fact that Geralt becomes incensed over, but they steal children to make new Dryads A matter Geralt has personal feelings on, given how new witchers are made. The Dryads would have similar pointed questions, however, for this is no tale of good versus evil. It's a rough comparison, but in general, the way humans look upon children is the way the Dryads look at trees, as the pinnacle of life, the most sacred spark worth protecting. The disdain Dryads show for the lives of human children is in part a response to the disdain with which humans treat nature. Not to mention the Dryads themselves, who, not unlike the elves and so many other species we've seen, have been pushed to the brink by human expansion. So many forests and the life they support are destroyed for human expansion. To them, human expansion is akin, in effect, to genocide. Where humans go, death follows. Thus, they must be slain first. Thus, to humans, it could be said that Brocolon is death. But to the Dryads...
0: No, Brocolon was alive. Insects buzzed, lizards rustled in the grass underfoot, iridescent beetles scuttled, thousands of spiders tugged webs glistening with drops of water, woodpeckers thumped tree trunks with sharp series of raps, and jays screeched. Brocolon was alive.
1: But the man called Frexinet, previously known to Geralt, is barely so... As the Witcher comes upon him, he's dying from an arrow wound, one whose source we needn't explain, given what we've just explained about humans and how Dryads feel about them entering their forest. Geralt, too, is wondering why on earth Frexnet would enter the forest in the first place. He's no child that doesn't know better. All adults in the general region, and even those further out, know the danger of Broccalon. It's not as if hostility between the species is new, let alone the forest itself, which the Dryads have claimed since prior to humans existing at all. But Frexenet is not ignorant of the danger. He went in bravely, despite it, because a person who values the future of their country when their country lives under the feudal system knows that many people die when the throne isn't stable. And indeed, that is what's at stake. Or perhaps it's just what he says later, that if he comes back without her, this princess, they'll kill him. So we'll just go with both. Hmm. Indeed, this story tells us that Pavetta has drowned off-screen along with Dooney, and their daughter is the only heir to the throne of Cintra, and she's somewhere in these woods. And if the Dryads are willing to shoot Frexenet, and children like the one Geralt found at the start, well, then one would think they'd be unlikely to hesitate to shoot this princess either, and that's what Frexenet fears, and it's hard to argue with his logic. Despite the fact that he's nearly dying and clearly knows it, he implores Geralt to save this princess, though Geralt is more interested in saving him. The decision is taken away from him by the sudden thrum of an arrow, a warning shot followed by another. Before the warnings become attacks, Geralt yells out to them in the elder speech, declaring the nickname their kind has given him and holding his hands in the air, a gesture of surrender that even Dryads will recognize. After a brief exchange in which he convinces the Dryads that he's here to see their lady, and a seeming assurance that they will not follow Frexinet to die, or not allow Frexinet to die, he's escorted away. On their way, he observes, through her scent, that his dryad escort was herself once human. Through this, we learn more about how dryads are born, or made, for there are two methods. Those who are born come from the ritual mating of a female dryad, for dryads are all female, with a male elf or human, or maybe other species, but those who have made to drink deep of the water of brocolon itself are the other sort, the naturalized kind, as we're told. And the living forest transforms them into dryads through this process. But the depth of their transformation depends on how early in life they take that drink. Geralt's escort named Brienne. Bran is one such who drank later in life, perhaps around the age of 10, he guesses. This would mean she had a substantial childhood before being taken, likely parents and family and playmates who miss her, but it's been six to seven years, he estimates.
0: And what were you called before? She glanced at him and suddenly grimaced. He thought she would become annoyed or order him to become silent. She did not. I don't remember, she said reluctantly. He did not think that was true.
1: Certainly, her memory of the ways of the forest is clear enough. She navigates them through many dangers, paths known only to the dryads, preset traps, as well as whatever kind of animal threats you might come across randomly in the deep forest. It's a long journey, enough so that they have to spend a night among Bracken on a hill in the path of thermal updrafts. Sounds kind of nice. But the warmth isn't sufficient, so by dryad custom, they sleep in each other's arms, purely for warmth, utility. But perhaps if she remembers her human name, she remembers the comforting embrace of human touch. The next day, they set off again, but have an encounter along the way. Destiny is rearing its ugly head, and so is a scolopendromorph, threateningly at our new co-protagonist. That's right. At this very moment, the Witcher novels shift from Geralt-centric to Geralt-slash-Ciri-centric. But Geralt doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know this is the princess Frexnet wanted him to find, the one he was willing to die for. Geralt doesn't even know he's dealing with a little girl at all, much less the one bound to him by the law of surprise, one he too will be willing to die for. As if to lay out the pattern going forward, Geralt has no choice in the matter. There's a giant centipede trying to kill this little someone, and he's a witcher. A witcher who is about to learn that while this encounter with Ciri seems random, it's really not. Let's again return to the matter of destiny, and how that word is also in the title of this story, and this book. Meanwhile, he and Brianne kill the myriapod and set about to learning who they've rescued.
0: It was not a dryad, nor was it an elf, sylph, puck, or halfling. It was a quite ordinary little human girl. In the center of Brocolon, it was the most extraordinary place to come across an ordinary human girl.
1: A human girl who had made it over a day without facing any of the many dangers one could and should expect in this place. Until moments ago, and just when that trouble arrives, so, does help. I mean, how lucky. But indeed, this is not random. It's the sort of blatant serendipity that tests the faith of the agnostic-like Geralt, who doesn't believe much in destiny, even as he realizes what he's dealing with. He remains stubborn, for now. I'm sure it's also not a coincidence that Ciri is the same age he estimated Brienne to be when she was made into a triad by the waters of Bruckleon. At first, she won't even speak to him, but she does look familiar, he thinks he's seen her or someone similar to her before. She does indeed bear the likeness of her mother, Pavetta, and her grandmother, the queen of Centra Calanthe. All three have big green eyes, ash-blonde hair, and the elder blood. Ciri tries to run away, only for Bran to fire a shot that nearly hits her. Geralt is angry, but she shows complete disdain, reminding him where they are. As Geralt notices that the arrow bears the same fletching as the one buried in the skull of the boy at the start of the story... He's reminded that Breanne is a dryad, even if she remembers her name and still smells like a human. Ciri calms down and joins the group, after all. They march on and chat. Geralt learns the identity of the dead boy he found at the beginning, a young Esquire, the last one to stay with Ciri after she separated from the rest. The boy's death is a dark connection between the two. One led him to the forest where he was shot. The other fired that shot. The similarities between Bran and Ciri are highlighted further. Due to their youth, neither of them had even heard of a witcher, let alone met one. Geralt tells them a story as they rest for the night. Siri seems to think going to sleep without a story is a completely ridiculous concept, while Brienne never gets a story at bedtime, so they're both starved for a story, but for opposite reasons. We get it. They listen in rapt attention when Geralt tells them of the cat and the fox. The fox is clever and tells the cat how many tricks it has to evade humans, while the cat has but one. The fox laughs at this, but in the end, he's caught, and the cat escapes up a tree. They both enjoy the story, though Siri thinks it should have had a moral. Bran says it does have a moral.
0: You, Muppet, should have scurried up a tree from that again, like that canny tomcat, cat. Not pondered, but scurried up the tree without a thought. And that is all the wisdom in it to survive, not to be caught.
1: In the morning, Bran leads them forward again towards the heart of Broccalon. On the way, Siri and Geralt have exchanges of the sort you'd expect from people who have known each other a long time, though they've just met. It's as if it's meant to be. However, before they even meet her, we know Lady Eithne doesn't plan for Geralt and Ciri to be together. To her, what's meant to be is that Ciri achieves her destiny, which we're led to believe is becoming a dryad. But as we shall see, being with Geralt is her destiny, part of it anyway. Geralt is against the transformation and tries various arguments. He points out that Eithne is inviting revenge, given how important Ciri is, and beyond this, he points out and get this that it's simply wrong to steal children. Radical idea for sure, but he's a bold and progressive witcher. I think he truly has Geralt cornered here, though, debate-wise. She points out that her knowledge of the outside world includes knowledge of the fact that he, Geralt himself, goes around just dropping the law of surprise on people as a bill for services rendered, hoping to imbue a child with the sort of magical destiny they require to make new witchers. And there lies the hypocrisy. He's hoisted himself on his own petard, as they say. How can he sit here and tell her she's wrong to steal a child to make one into their kind when he's been trying to do the same for quite a while himself, not to mention his fellow witchers who also try to do the same? Worse, though, he doesn't know it yet. He's literally stolen this child via this exact method, as we saw back at a certain banquet that asked a question of price. If he knew, perhaps that would be his argument. Hey, I think you can't steal this kid because I've already stolen her. And in this case, it's too late to make a change of plans. Destiny has entered the chat, or rather did some 10 years ago. And once Destiny is involved, she doesn't let go. That's right. Siri is Destiny's child. That's who has protected her all this time. And Brokkalon, she's a survivor. What? As we've seen in prior stories, though, Geralt is not the biggest believer in Destiny. In this story, he flat out says it does not exist, that the only thing certain is death. The events of the preceding pages are challenging this worldview of his, though, and Frexenet does so as well.
0: If not for you, I'd have expired in that hollow. You've rescued me again. It's destiny. That's as clear as day. You're exaggerating. Frexenet shook his head. It's destiny, he repeated. It must have been written that we'd meet again, Witcher, that you'd save my skin again. Remember, people talked about it in Ham after you lifted that bird curse from me.
1: Hold up. Bird curse, you say? Let's, let's try saying that 10 times fast. Siri as well perks up at this news. She is highly invested in anything to do with turning formerly human animals back into humans. After all, she's the daughter of a hedgehog. So Frexenet believes their meeting again was an example of destiny, while Garrett believes it was coincidence. And if we were to take an accounting of events leading up to now, well, Geralt never did return to Cintra to claim the child as he said he would. But he found her anyway, didn't he? Here in this extraordinary out-of-the-way place. He may not yet be convinced, but he doesn't yet know who Ciri is. And Ciri herself, she knows who he is. And all this talk is surely making her even more confident that destiny is real. Eithne clearly believes in it too, leaving Geralt as the only non-believer in the group here. Further conversation ensues. The debates between Eithne and Geralt are a thing of wonder. The points they make to one another are akin to the sharpness in the Witcher's sword. When the debating is done, there's more understanding on both sides, but Eithne hasn't budged on the issue of converting Siri into a dryad. Geralt can do nothing about it. He's one man in the heart of Broccolon, and the lady has made her decision. It's her call. Or is it? as Lady Eithne herself would be forced to admit there's a power greater than her in Broccolon, one that holds sway outside Broccolon as well, the very thing Geralt doesn't believe in, the reason she tells Siri not to fear. Yep, it's destiny yet again. Eithne asks Siri what she wants, and she says she wants to go with Geralt because she feels that it's her destiny. Meanwhile, Geralt believes that the Dryads, if they don't assimilate, will all die in time, and this is part of why he doesn't want Ciri to become one. It's like moving into a house on fire. A silver cup is brought forth, containing the waters which transform a person into a dryad. Geralt has seen the process before, and it's terrible. He doesn't want to see it again, and he demands, "Why are you making me watch? What's the point?" She answers,
0: "I want to show you what destiny is. I want to prove to you that nothing is ending, that everything is only beginning."
1: He is not moved and begins to say farewell, but again, Ithne traps him with his own words. If he cares so much for this child. How can he leave now? And where to in such a rush? Ciri herself says nothing and does not cry, but her body language communicates quite a lot.
0: Until the end, the witcher said, nodding, very well, Ciri, you will not be alone. I will be with you. Do not fear anything.
1: She asked Geralt to read what's on the cup, and it says, the sword of destiny has two blades. You are one of them. Then Ciri drinks and nothing happens. No convulsing or pain, not even a cough. That should be the end of it, but it's not. And instead, Eithne asks Siri again what she wants to do remain in Broccolon or follow your destiny. Take note of that phrasing. Eithne says stay in Broccolon or follow your destiny. Now, before Siri drank, Eithne seemed to indicate that Siri's destiny was Broccolon. It seems the result of the water drinking ritual was not what Eithne hoped for, though perhaps it wasn't a surprise either. Bottom line, Destiny has not selected Siri for a dryad future. Destiny had selected her for well, let's keep reading and find out, shall we? For one thing, this particular story isn't even over yet. As Siri might say, it needs a moral. Upon hearing that Siri wants to leave, Iithy turns away and announces she wishes to be alone. Not an unexpected request from someone who has just been severely disappointed by a false hope amidst so much loss. Geralt doesn't leave, though, and tries to offer thanks for the charade. He believes Eithne was merciful, that she gave Ciri regular water and just called it the water of Broccolon for how else could it have not have worked? She is not happy with the implication. He still doesn't get it. This was no vulgar trick, to use her words. This was destiny, and she's kind of exasperated that he's continuously refusing to accept it, despite this overwhelming evidence. Not to mention that she's quite sure it exists, And Geralt's track record at disagreeing with older, powerful women on the subject of magic is pretty poor. But she does respect him, respects their shared struggle with human civilization and his dedication to protecting intelligent species. So she continues to explain to get him to stop thinking so much, to stop rationalizing his denials. And she shows him the cup, offering it to him to prove it really is the water of Ruckalon. He pauses, slightly confused, because he's so certain this can't be the water of Broccolon, and he knows that even if it was the real water, it wouldn't work on him. So what's going on here, he thinks. Yeah, he drinks. And while it doesn't make him a dryad, as expected, he does pass into a dream state. The medallion quivers. Magic's happening. And I like a spirit guide tells him to look at his destiny to remember. He sees visions. At first, he's back in Sintra at the banquet with Calanthe and her court. He sees Pavetta and hears himself promise her to return in six years. But it's been about ten, and he never did. Next, he sees violet eyes, purple smoke, Beltane, Yennefer. Ithne speaks.
0: The nothingness and void in you, conqueror of the world, who is unable even to win the woman he loves, who walks away and flees when his destiny is within reach, the Sword of Destiny has two blades. You are one of them. But what is the other, White Wolf?
1: He continues to deny, claiming the only destiny is death, but the visions do not relent. Next, he sees Ciri's grandmother, the Lioness of Cintra, Queen Calanthe in silvered armor, bloody and dented from terrible blows. She says,
0: The Sword of Destiny has two blades. You are one of them. Is the second death? But it is we who die die because of you. Death cannot catch up with you, so it must settle for us. Death dogs your footsteps, White Wolf. But others die because of you.
1: It is a terrible implication. By denying destiny, great pain and suffering are brought upon the world. Ciri's impulse of childish actions caused the death of several men, but Geralt's actions have caused far more harm, apparently. And while one can perhaps excuse a child for not knowing better, Geralt is, well... Old, <laughs> but not too far gone, despite his unrelenting stubbornness, he can be saved. Not by the wise Lady Eithne or Yennefer or Neneke, certainly not Dandelion, not in this anyway, but through love at best and failing that purpose. This was the lesson of villain Trettenmurth, a sterile being who nonetheless became a father. Sound familiar?
0: You can save him, child of the Elder Blood, before he plunges into the nothingness which he has come to love, into the black forest which has no end.
1: Ciri doesn't just need him, he needs her. The next thing Geralt and Ciri know, they're waking up. Far from the heart of Broccalon, Ciri knows exactly which way to go, however. Geralt, thinking of her bloodline, agrees that her inner compass is probably the best guide. Bantering away, eventually they come to a fork in the road that Geralt recognizes, so he decides they no longer need her inner compass, but Ciri insists they not take the familiar road. He doesn't take her advice and quickly regrets it. They're suddenly surrounded by men who are trying to look decent but not doing a great job of it. A tree has been felled by axes, and there a merchant caravan has been slaughtered brutally. The men claim it was done by dryads, and that the king is sending a druid to assist in the matter, but Siri points out that a dryad would never chop down a tree, and she's not wrong. Indeed, they've stumbled on a false flag operation. These men who used to work for Frexenet are after revenge over his death and Ciri's, so they've slaughtered a bunch of merchants and tried to make it look like dryads, and didn't exactly do a good job of it. The lioness and the wolf are thus in danger, as these killers can't have the truth come out. And so we return to the tale of the cat and the fox. Up the tree, Siri goes, like the cat did, while the fox turns to its many tricks to get out of the jam. He uses magic to create a diversion. He pretends to be blinded and slays several of the bad guys. However, there are a lot of them, and they have bows, which he finds trained on him after killing their leader. But the bowmen also have bows trained on them, and the help of an illusion. Soon enough, the entire group of mercenaries is dead, Geralt recognizes the arrows of Brienne, and the druid Mausak shows up, who seems to be responsible for the illusion. He's quite happy to have found Ciri, and she him, though she knows punishment, awaits her back in Cintra. Mausak informs Geralt that Calanthe has broken off the arranged marriage without explanation, so okay. Mausack nicely picks up where Eithne left off, trying to get through to Geralt that destiny is real.
0: That child, Geralt, is linked to you by destiny. For the third time, yes, the third your paths have crossed. Metaphorically, of course, particularly as regards to the previous two occasions. You surely can't call it coincidence.
1: Geralt makes another excuse, saying he was trying to make a new witcher child, but girls can't be witchers. Mausak does the equivalent of rolling his eyes.
0: Listen, any fool, including you, may demand a vow, may exact a promise, and not become remarkable because of it. It is the child who is extraordinary.
1: He tells Geralt that what he wants ceased to matter the moment Ciri was born, that he doesn't bloody matter. But Geralt won't accept it. His stubbornness is legendary. Malsak is disgusted, and his response is also pretty legendary.
0: Take advantage of the chance which is presenting itself. Turn what connects you to Ciri into the normal, healthy bond of a child with its guardian. For if you do not, then that bond may manifest itself differently. More terribly.
1: Not so different from what Eithne said and what the vision showed him. And they didn't exactly coordinate on their answers. So add another powerful, wise expert in magic that Geralt won't take advice from to the list. He rides off. Ciri awakens somehow and implores him to stay. She shouts after him that she's his destiny. He thinks that a life with him is a life of death. And he doesn't want that for her. But as Mausak said, what Geralt wants doesn't matter anymore. No one can escape their destiny. (laughs)
2: Wow! So, what a, what a story, right? So, first of all, let's give it up for Aziz. That was one excellent synopsis. Let's Thank give you, them, you. Yeah, that Thank was you. that was actually my favorite synopsis so far because yeah? right. I think we're getting into our reactions here. We talked about this so when we always do kind of our prep for the podcast. We have a couple of conversations before we go live, and we talked about like you know the idea of maybe as destiny as a protagonist, which uh, yeah, which which you guys have brought up so eloquently, but also. The, the themes that we have talked about in previous podcasts, you know, we see characters like villain Murth pop up again, and some of his wisdom pop up in this story. And then we see wisdom and themes from other stories. Like we see, you know, obviously the assimilation of the elves. We're seeing kind of a similar situation here with the Dryad. So I think this is such a powerful story, obviously, because I feel like personally it's the, really, the start of the story, yeah, because we're really getting into kind of the 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 main uh story arc And of course, Mikhail and Aziz, what was your reaction on the short story? I know we always say like hey, you know i yeah, this wasn't my favorite short story, but this was always one of my favorites because of the two parter uh part of it and because of uh Siri I mean we we get we get a, a cool introduction of Siri here and also just the setting is so cool, right there's so much lore and history and this kind of Uh, mystical element about the setting of all of this It makes it really feel like we're inside the world of the witcher in this story so yeah what do you guys think
0: i love this story i think it's also first of all it's a really easy read despite its length it just flows really beautifully you know we, we get to the point pretty fast and i mean the first line is just like you know an arrow literally and it's such a different tone in terms of like Geralt having to talk to a child or two children, really. But, a, you know, <laughs> Siri being the child and the main kid in the story um, and her bringing just this completely different, totally irre- irreverent point of view to everything that's going on. And it's also, you know, it's really interesting because especially if you've done all the work of reading all of the previous short stories, this feels really like a reward because we finally are hitting you know hitting the ground where it you know it's an arcane story there's a lot of we'll talk about the conversation with me that has a lot of questions in it. Oh, oh, yeah. but oh, yeah. it's just like we we do start to feel like we really are kind of coming into the understanding of what sakowski is building here after a lot i mean for us a year more than a year of, yeah. of, you know going through this so yeah it's it's really wonderful i love it
2: it does kind of drop a lot of bombs right like a calm mm-hmm. before the storm does it feel like that for you guys
1: yeah, a little bit for sure. There's just, it's, it's very heavy because you're, you know, this is some of this stuff, even though it's obviously very supernatural, there's a lot of it that's extremely relevant. And that's one thing that he's super good at doing is blending supernatural with like down to earth human stuff. And he focuses it on the right way. Like the supernatural stuff is the exterior and the st- stuff that's really focused on is the personal stuff. And that is probably what makes it so interesting, or at least one of the reasons why. There's so many ideas that were raised in prior stories individually that all come here. And, and we'll be going through them individually. And you'll see what we mean if you haven't caught that already, which a lot of you probably did catch that already, at least some of them. And we'll probably be able to name a few new ones that you didn't catch.
2: Kind of feels like a little bit like a puzzle.
1: You know what I mean? we
2: have I don't want to say that they're not connected, but when you know when we jump into analysis of a short story, it's like, OK, we kind of trade it as its own thing, its own adventure, and we can still Obviously, link the characters together. But now we're starting to be like, okay, we've placed all these kind of themes and puzzle pieces. And now we're like, okay, that's what's in place. The theme of this story, the sword of destiny, what does that really mean? Right? Like, de- destiny, of course, being probably the main theme of the whole story. What does that really mean? How do we question that? Um, how do we interpret that? But then we obviously have <laughs> the double edged destiny here. Like, you know, is Siri going to be Geralt's death? Right. Because there's this prophetic element about this story, like you said, is he's this supernatural element, like really kind of leading us toward this path of uh, this nice framing that Sapkowski has put on this
1: story. Yeah, like he's basically mouse, says at the end, look, she's so like the the, she's so extraordinary that like you're just going to get sucked into her orbit no matter what you do. Yes, it's destiny, but it's more her destiny than yours, but your destiny is kind of subordinate to hers. It is both your destinies are involved, but yeah, like she's the she's the one with the 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 pull.
2: <laughs> right? She has all this untapped potential and she we know that she has a destiny, right? Like we know that there's some bigger part that she has to play. And we're just scratching the surface of that. We're like, oh, like the Dryads know about this, right? Like they can just tell she's special.
1: It's the Chekhov's gun concept. Like, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's Chekhov's really powerful child. I mean, you don't, <laughs> you don't you're not going to kill that kid. Like not early anyway, uh, if at all. So <laughs> the one, then you gave them great powers. So yeah, it's, uh, you, you may not know exactly what's coming, but it's something. It's like a continuation in a lot of ways of *Crest* Enterprise. Price. It wouldn't be fun to skip all the ones in between, but you could do that. You could go straight from Question of Price to this one, and it would, it would work. Um, you would miss a lot, especially some Yennefer Geralt stuff that's pretty darn important, but it would work in its own way.
2: That's why I said framing. Yeah. It's like a, a story that provides a lot of context, is what yeah. I find for mm-hmm. this story. Yeah. Like, like, you know, it's not necessarily like uh, the kind of. Main pillar of the story, but it definitely is important. It's like if you, as far as kind of learning all like the ins and outs that Sepkowski is trying to trick us with, um, (laughs) lead us on.
1: I got a, I got a, something to ask you guys. What do you think about considering this was sort of like an evolution of Edge of the World? Because it's it's got a lot of similar structure. You got these like species pushed to the brink. There's a philosophical argument between Geralt and the leader. And then at the end, there's this disappointment when this powerful being doesn't choose them. Like that Lilla, you know, Lily of the Dana Meb or whatever her name is in the Elvish language. You know, they're like, come with us. And she's like, nah. And it's just like, I think, you know, expect Siri to be with them and Nope, that's not how it goes. And
0: I actually really love that comparison because that is such an kind of bewildering story. You know, it's like it it, <laughs> it has this ridiculousness in it, and then it just ends with this like wham, you know, intense philosophical, you know. So this is almost kind of like a more moderated version of that. And I I, I don't know if this is intentional, but like when Geralt does notice Siri, he says like she it wasn't a puck, and like I think a puck is what goat man uh they think it is anyway from from uh the edge of the mm. world
2: his little iron balls <laughs> that he chucks at everyone
0: torque
2: well, yeah. i love torque man um yeah.
0: yeah so i i mean i i really love that and i think it definitely we, we get kind of i think a little bit more involved and more nuanced conversation between eithne and and gerald on the subject of you know man and destiny and all that
2: i agree i agree with the word evolution from aziz you mean yeah. kind of like not to say the edge of the world like isn't an important story it is more silly for sure but this one me- feels more heavily weighted right like it feels like more serious even though but uh serious you know i, I don't i don't want to kind of um, display what happened to the elves you know assimilation and kind of them having to move to the outskirts of the world and then kind of you know being trampled upon when they were, you know, kind of these first beings that were really, you know, their civilization is kind of crumbled. There there are so many similarities there. It's like this mirror, almost like the mirror to their story.
0: Well, you can see it as two different, I guess, responses to what they both view as occupation, right? Like, so either, you know, you have, you know, the elves are certainly fighting and they're they're responding in some ways violently, but ultimately they're like hiding in the mountains and struggling to survive. Whereas, you know, the the dryads are just like, here and no further, you know, and, and, and com- like responding with, I think we're meant to agree is excessive violence against kind of people without without consideration of, you know, a- any trespass they view as violence against them not considering kind of where it might come from
2: it really is interesting right because like you think about this in the real world we still have cultures around the planet like they say don't go visit these civilizations because if you have like a normal flu you can like wipe out a a total civilization you know what i mean and you can see like there's just like this small population of this species is left it's like so fragile so you can kind of understand from their perspective and kind of from the world that we've already kind of learned and to try to understand, right? Like, we've had all this context of what ha- what's happened with the elves and kind of Nilfgaard. We kind of get a little bit of spice yeah. with that, right? Like, they're encroaching and gaining power. So it's not unreasonable to think that, like, I don't necessarily agree with them just killing innocent people, but they're also protecting themselves, right? Like, this yeah. Oh, yeah, kind of, like, 100%. holy thing that they have, right? <laughs> I, I, l- l- let's let's jump into some of the themes because I really love what uh, sp- especially Yumi Cal had to say about Siri you had some really good points about her
0: yeah I love the idea that like I mean first of all it's kind of this is, this is a little bit going into influences but like the little red riding hood parallels with the story are like well I shouldn't say that they're blatantly obvious because I full up missed them the first time mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and then the second time I was like oh she's wearing a red hood thank you andre for dropping that very obvious hint um but like you know it really is kind of a story of and we'll we'll talk more about like the the little red riding hood influence but you know as far as the idea of you know innocence lost which is always a big theme um with little red riding hood that's definitely like a huge part of series story and something that I think the readers go through with Siri also, you know, not not to spoil anything, but Siri does grow up and experience a lot of things through the course of the Witcher books and she kind of comes to recognize like that or or echo a lot of what is said about Geralt in this story. And I you know, to go back to the idea of destiny, I kind of like to view it as sort of like the selection of the story's protagonist. You know, and like Little Red Riding Hood is not necessarily like an empowering story for Little Red Riding Hood, um, <laughs> but you know this becomes a very empowering story for Siri. I remember as I was like reading through the books the first time, um I was like, you know, looking at reviews and people were like, "This is so weird" because I thought this was about Geralt and suddenly Siri is the main character, and it's like, yeah, Siri is sort of the main character. She is being <laughs> selected by destiny to be the main character and a lot of what I think Geralt does is sort of he would never put it this way, but he I don't think he can conceive of her or anyone else being a main character in his story. He doesn't he doesn't live like that. He's he's the scythe, you know, he's the one who death is following and everyone else is who gets caught up in that. But
2: what's so interesting about that too, and this kind of you know popped in my head the idea of the double-edged sword. You know, this story is called the Sword of Destiny, and what does that really mean? You know, obviously swords are sharp; it can kill people. But the idea that d- destiny is the protagonist, for example, as you're proposing, the idea that Geralt and Ciri both come from very different walks of life. Ciri is this mm-hmm. kind of I don't want to say naive, but she's this young girl. She's 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 this princess. She's super special. You know, not to say that Geralt isn't special, but he's this older guy. He's lived this. Long, long life and experience is probably as much as you could as a particular person could in the Witcherverse, right? But then it's almost like their sides of the sword, they have to experience each other's point of view to go forward with their stories. Without learning each other's perspective, they wouldn't survive. And it's like without Geralt, Siri would probably die. And if it weren't for Siri, Geralt would probably recklessly die in some sort of war. You know what I mean? So it's, it's like they both need each other to progress and grow and evolve. Like, as he says, like the story really is an evolution. Now, even though Geralt walks away at the end of it, we know that they're going to be linking up at some sort of point again. But we know that their relationship is so integral to the growth of both of their paths. You know, their, yeah. their path. Yeah. You
1: know. I like that. I like what you said a lot. There, I, w- I want to just add some things. the The idea of what the other edge of the sword is is really, really cool. There's a lot of ways you can interpret it. And like, if one edge of if if one edge of the sword is death, you know, doesn't doesn't that mean by extension the other has to be life? You can't have death without life. Death they can't exist without each other. And if it says one, so if the wording is the sword of destiny has two edges, you are one of them. So if life is one of them, death is the other, then That's a whole different way of looking at it as far as a basis for for asking further questions. And one interpretation that I sort of lean towards, and although I I wouldn't ever say that there is only one correct interpretation for something like this, and I, for one, I can't imagine that's what Scott had in mind either. Garrett's trying to run away from his destiny, and there is, his choice is affecting it. And it says, "Look, if Geralt, if you continue to evade this destiny, it's still going to happen, but it's going to happen with terrible consequences. They're still going to happen, but it's <laughs> going to happen in a bad way." So he does have a say in how it plays out, but it's still ultimately he can't prevent the the, the bottom lines. He, but he does have a, a say in in how. The quality of them, maybe you can say, or the the context of them, and that's a great—that's a cool way to think about it. I think
2: you could say that he's maybe fearful of the ultimate end reaction of all of that. Maybe mm. you know, what I mean, he's maybe thinking about that future, like, like because Mikhail, you mentioned it, like, hey, like he's kind of fearful that if Siri follows him, that that's what her path is going to be because his path has been full of death, right? Like that is he's mm. he's worried that he, even though uh, de- destiny ha- has their own unique path for Siri. he's worried that it would like kind of corrupt her path in some sort of way i mean
0: i think he, he thinks she's gonna die like i think he's mm. he imagines her as just another one another victim of of the destiny that kind of keeps chasing after him you know i i don't i don't think he yet has any real idea that Siri has the capacity to be the causer or the bringer of death mm. um which i get he, she's maybe 10 you know it, it's almost, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah he's
1: got a little bit of ego in it maybe because it's like these all these powerful people who know their business about magical like look she's really really powerful and special and he's like yeah so am i my destiny is yeah. all about death and i don't want to expose her to that and they're like dude yours is nothing compared to hers but he's like no no seriously mine is just so strong it's
2: so funny Well,
0: how, how about we think about this on the scale of hmm multiple worlds how about that
2: (laughs) yeah multiple worlds (laughs) it's so funny because everyone kind of even uh, ate and the other people kind of embrace this you know idea of destiny and Geralt was the one that ultimately walks away from it and it's not the first time that Geralt has walked away from anything like we've talked about (laughs) you know his his kind of idea of what relationships are and he you know it's difficult for, for, for him because look at what happened. His relationships weren't formed the way that he wanted because he got taken away from his family. He got made into a Witcher. And that, that is something that is supremely affected the way he views the world, right? And he, oh, yeah. I, I think he worries that for Ciri because he, even though he doesn't necessarily know her know her yet, he fears that for her because he's already experienced that and seen others fail on the same path as him.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also, you could say that, like, Geralt is, he's expressed contempt for destiny um, before, but I think part of the way that manifests in this story is, you know, we meet him and he's on a mission that he has no real stake in, right? Mm -hmm. He's a messenger. He, you know, he doesn't want the Dryads to die and he doesn't want more humans to die, but ultimately he has actually no real stake in that fight. He also you doesn't know? think
1: it's going to work. He's like, this is a yeah. waste of time. Exactly, yeah. and
0: yeah, I think that's a really good point because he's kind of he's almost like like when when uh, I don't know, I can't really think of an example, but he he's basically like issuing responsibility, you know, based mm. on on how nihilistic his base ideology is, Ooh. you know, that kind of comes out later, like the dark forest that that he's in, and yeah, I think it's I think it's really telling that like he's not even earning money for himself, really. I mean, I guess like he is promised money, but like it's just it's just a very it's kind of pointless. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a
1: great, this is a great theme we've uncovered here because we've been talking about how like the villain Tretmer thing is like, look, Geralt, you need purpose. And like, so it's a great idea for Sabkowski to give him this utterly pointless mission that he's on, <laughs> that he knows is pointless that almost nobody else, like the people who sent him don't think it's pointless. Like he's just like lonely and realizing how pointless this is. And so it really both highlights his loneliness and the lack of purpose here, which both are, are what Siri has to offer him. Yeah he still walks away from it and, and I think mocks him for that even before he does it because she knows he's going to because that's what he always does. <laughs> and and magic.
2: <laughs> I, I still feel sympathetic for Gerald because, like, what? He's, like, almost 100 at this point. You know what I mean? And I, and, and I don't think his thinking is necessarily wrong that he knows that I mean, he's seen war, he's seen conflict bef- between all of these kingdoms, he's, he's talked about politics and how he doesn't want to get involved in that, so so to a certain extent, I mean, all of his experiences have shaped his worldview, so he's, it, it makes it even worse because Geralt has experienced so much, and then there's this thing, like, this destiny in Syria, this really p- powerful part of this story, it's like, eh, you know, I've, I've pretty much experienced it all, can this really be like, so I, I can kind of see why Geralt sees it that way, but I mean yeah. things are going to change soon though I think. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's
0: not really an indictment of Geralt. It's more yeah. like a commentary on his mental state. Like mm. he's wrong but like yeah certainly yeah. you do get why he feels that way. Yeah, it's but not I selfish
1: think, wrong. It's yes. Right. It's, it's yeah, exactly. He's he's
0: almost like I mean his intent almost, his intention isn't
1: malicious. By
2: No, leader. it's never
0: malicious, but yeah. it's almost like a, a noble but very condescending i i alone have the ability to change these people's <laughs> lives you know i'm like and it's not like he doesn't have evidence for that it's just i i i think it's really interesting that throughout pretty much this entire book he keeps having arguments in which he's wrong. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: like, and he argues well. It's good. It's like he doesn't mm-hmm. just like get stomped down immediately. Sometimes he does. But, but you know, it's I, I enjoy the process because, yeah, he's, these philosophical discussions are great. Like, yeah. Sapkowski's so good at writing them.
0: I mean, how many t- times have we had conversations where like he'll be arguing usually with a woman and it'll be like, <laughs> you know, they'll make an amazing point And he'll be like, no, Yennefer slash Se slash. It's nice that it was Moussack this time, too. Exactly. (laughs) exactly
1: yeah so it's like it's not just women it's like okay good it wasn't just women yeah you know you know know it's so interesting about it i think about
2: uh uh, with great power comes great responsibility i think Geralt also discounts himself somewhat too you know what i mean he thinks that he's just a normal witcher but look at how many uh, situations that could have been so much worse and Geralt has you know helped not be a complete disaster you know what i mean it's Mm. like this Geral- maybe Geralt doesn't realize that he actually has more power and destiny, and that's part of his destiny, is to maybe, how about a few more people than he thinks he can help, other than just slaying monsters, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: What did you guys think when you first saw this title before you ever read the books or anything? Like, did you think it was a literal sword? I did. I mean, I I just didn't really think about it that much, but I was like, oh, a sword of... Excalibur?
2: Yeah, like, if
1: I thought about it more, I might have been like, that's probably not a real sword. Probably a metaphor, but I didn't, you know? And and then it was like, oh, yeah, of course. But what did you you guys, do you have any thoughts on that? Or was that just, uh, I wonder how other people took that?
0: It's so funny because it sort of goes along with like the 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 somewhat weird aesthetics of the Witcher like the external aesthetics you know yeah. like the the covers are not like this is a unique fantasy story the covers <laughs> at least in America are like this is the most generic bullshit yeah. fantasy you could ever you know mm-hmm. and like sort of destiny <laughs> just sounds like something that like there must be like a million fanfics you know all respect to fanfic writers but like <laughs> you know it, it it sounds very amateurish like, there is a destined sword, you know, that that the main character will find and this will invest them with power and blah, blah, blah. And it's just so not at all that even remotely that I still have, like, I still have to, like, remind myself that I'm like, no, 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 this is t- talking about something way more complicated and thematic and, like, just really significant. When, when they market this again and when they publish them again... <laughs> please do not put a sword anywhere near the the (laughs) cover. Because the sword is not the point.
2: There are very Arthurian tropes, though, that do come up later in the story. Oh, yes. yes. But (laughs) Sapkowski is so similar to to, to George R. R. Martin, the way he kind of inverts things and kind of tries to keep you guessing and throws in these red herrings and makes you want to think that that's just like some traditional portion of writing, which it kind of is, but then he kind of flips it to make it fit a particular narrative.
1: Can you imagine like a picture of a sword, and on one side of the image it says you, <laughs> and the other side it says question mark? Like,
0: <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I think I want that on a t-shirt now. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, we got to make that one. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I see. Mm, or not, the... not
0: even a question mark, like the the hmm emoji.
1: Mm, yeah, just mm, <laughs> like yeah, the thinking, like. Mm. <laughs> Let's talk about this real quick, this moment about the, the breakdown of drinking from the cup. I want to, I think we figured it out, but I wanted to throw it out there and, and walk through it just a little bit just to make sure and, and hear in case you have different takes. We thought that Eithne maybe suspected the water wouldn't work on Siri, but she kind of hoped it would, because if you think about it from her perspective, this is really interesting. You're the ruler of Brocolon. Your, your culture's doing badly. And this girl just survived through the forest. Your forest with the elder blood, and she shows up and you've been have you've been getting sick kids and not enough ki- children of your own you know, naturally born species and all that, and this girl just shows up in your forest and all that like you're going to think it's for you, you know if you believe in destiny, so to have it turn out to not be for her and for her people's got to be like a real dagger. I think that's just an important like tragic element to the story that maybe isn't super clear. And that explains why she says, Geralt, you know, she's like, you say something is ending, but something's not ending. Something is beginning. And she thinks that something is for them, for the dry, like a resurgence or something but she leaves she doesn't say it that way because in the back of her mind she knows that maybe that's you know she can't be sure this is destiny after all you can't like you can't ever be 100 percent sure like just just as she says yes a century ago this whole section of the forest was cleared but who can say what will happen in another hundred years so that's kind of her attitude is like yes destiny appears to be saying this but i i'm not going to be sure until you know until it's sure and i think that's fascinating
2: kind of the drinking uh from the cup element also yeah y- you know uh, yeah, this idea uh, we, this this holiness this holy i mean can kind of be represented as this holy water um there's definitely throughout many different religions this kind of idea of drinking from the cup and you know kind of that type of influence you think that is kind of a little bit of what Sapkowski is trying to get out of here too because it has a different effect on different people, right? And he's kind of trying to tell us like, hey, this person might not be the chosen one. This person might be the chosen one. You think he's hinting at it kind of like that a little
1: bit? Yeah, maybe a little bit. I think there is an element of faith to it because you have to believe in yeah. destiny. I think that's part of the message. It's kind of what I got from it. Like, I think if Siri hadn't believed in her destiny, it, it may, the water may have worked on her. I'm not sure that it's just the elder blood for sure. Because like, I think he knew she has elder blood. And was expecting it to work. So I don't think it's the elder blood necessarily that is the reason it resisted. It might be the elder blood is part of what gives her her destiny. And her destiny is what, and believing in that is part of what made the water not work. Um, You bring up such a brilliant
2: point too. Like the idea of believing in something, Geralt doesn't necessarily believe in it. And Siri has to take this leap of faith. That's a pretty big deal. Right, yeah. like, uh, this. keeps on going back to these kind of negative habits that he has, and it's really stopping him from progressing as evolving into a better person. Essentially, right? Yeah. Well, it's funny.
0: He yeah. he he accuses Eithne and the Dryads of kind of being stuck, you know, and, <laughs> in, in their past and like. And it's, it is very poignant the scene with Eithne because I mean, it's it's one of those classic Sapkowski scenes that you're like, "This is really smart." I have to read it like six times before I even start to understand what it means. <laughs> but, like, it really does have that, like... I don't know. I, I mean, I read it as think kind of... I, I agree she suspects it might not work, but I think it's very, very difficult for her to realize that she might not be... Like, she She views herself as Destiny, you know? The Last mm. Riot of as keeping the, this, this culture alive. And, like, I, I think she gets a glimpse there that might not be the plan that Destiny has. Like, she she might not be one of the main characters in the story of destiny and Ooh. i think it's you know i Ooh. don't really like i because she is so kind of like well this child is mine now <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> she has a yeah. family but okay. it's more like yeah i think
1: she exhibits more respect than likability like you, yeah. You, you, yeah, you, yeah yeah her arguments are good are, are, are makes sense you can kind of understand her perspective you put yourself in her place you can kind of be like yeah i guess i would probably do that too Um, it's just hard to do that though. Like what kind of, like, it's hard to imagine yourself in a species that is one gender that has to take, you know, mate with other species and sometimes steals them. Like that's just hard to fathom, but it is in this context, it's really interesting because of the whole, that's how witchers are made thing. And Geralt's like, yeah, well, uh, can't really, um, get on your case too much for that after they, you know, after they point that out.
0: Yeah.
2: But it's so interesting how her mind works, right? She starts to consider things that she she when she learns how important siri is right she's like yeah she starts to pose these big questions that we're thinking when we're reading this story it's like oh damn
0: well because what would what would that say right like if you if siri was meant to be a dryad a child of the elder blood like a human child survives brocalon and somehow shows up here and and i a hundred percent agree with you aziz like that seems like destiny is a hundred percent in my corner I'm right, Right. (laughs) I have, like, no arguments can stand against me, it doesn't matter, and then she loses that, you know, twice, really, because it's like a double whammy, where she drinks, and the water doesn't work, and then she chooses, you know, to go with Geralt, and, like, I think that the fact that she makes Geralt drink the water, or or encourages him to drink the water, anyway, (laughs) is kind of her last dig of you know a, a little bit of a bitter
1: she can at least be I right know. you know
0: yeah yeah and it's <laughs> just like oh well her- destiny is so important you say destiny like destiny doesn't exist and i think destiny is so important and it's not going my way but i'll prove to you that it's 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 even more important than i even said before you know
1: yeah yeah and she's like see destiny is powerful even you know <laughs> it's like even yeah. though she's kind of the victim of it here uh or misled by it or whatever yeah that's a good way to put it <laughs>
0: You have captured the whole world, man. You are everywhere. Everywhere you introduce what you call modernity, the era of change, what you call progress. But we want neither you nor your progress here.
1: Yeah, we've obviously seen that sentiment from a Few different places, not just the elves, but also the the shapeshifters in um, Eternal Flame. And there's got to be some other ones. (laughs) I can't think of any off the top of my head, but just, yeah, there's other ones that have been mentioned that we haven't been maybe been front and center.
0: Yeah, I mean, even that, 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 like, the dragon's name, Aglaval, is is all progress, 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 right? Like, modernizing and, and getting the pearls and, you know.
1: Great point. Yeah, the progress thing is huge. Like like progress in quotes where it's like this is it's not progress so much as change. <laughs> right. Yeah. And change can doesn't isn't always for the better. Like progress sort of implies things are better, but it's not, you know, but
2: <laughs> and progress these, usually requires a lot of death in the, yeah.
1: um, particularly yeah. in the winter. Yeah, This is more like the bad blood is getting worse, right? Like these these things, these unresolved issues are getting Touchier because they're unresolved, like the differences between the species that have caused them so much conflict. Been a hundred years now. So Geralt thinks of things like fewer warning shots, or I don't, well, not a hundred years, but whatever. It's been a long time. Like I think just expects that Frexanet is a scalp hunter. She's like, well, he must be a scalp hunter then. You know, just that's her, almost an assumption, right? And it's like, Geralt's like, definitely not. He's definitely not a scalp hunter. Like, he's not a great dude necessarily. But he's not like some awful murderer either, apparently, or at least as far as we know. We don't really know that much about him, but he's not a scalp hunter. So, yeah, and like this whole false flag operation they're trying, like that's not something they tried right away. Because the, the to, for a false flag operation to work, the enemy's tactics have to be known. You have to be like, oh, yeah, they would they would do that. Everybody has to buy in. But that doesn't work if it's a new enemy that nobody knows anything about.
0: Yeah, for X-Men, that's interesting. We'll talk about him later. It's just he He isn't interesting because yeah. he doesn't react to the dryads like the uh false flag people do. He doesn't really. He also, there is something about him that is like, I'm not sure you're a great guy. I'm not sure why. I don't know why, but I, it's like,
1: yeah, is he like the example of something that passes for decency because like the bar is so low, or is he
0: just
1: just passes? Is he just like (laughs) on his best behavior because he's a little grateful to have survived, or I don't know, like, (laughs) yeah, he's just resigned. Is it's hard, it is hard to say. I mean, I guess you, I'm kind of getting ahead of you said we talk about him later, and here we are doing it now, but yeah, you're right. I have shared that same confusion. It's like, yeah, I'm not sure how to judge this guy maybe we don't need to but <laughs> good
0: thing he comes back <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> so yeah destiny obviously we talk about that infertility the whole that infertility theme has come up a lot yunifer the dragons parenting that's a big one that's kind of <laughs> relating to that because we have themes of like adoption and uh, and just regular parenting and this whole Geralt, like having recurring guilt over making new witchers whether it's okay or not and you know he's he's sees his own process as problematic. He's like, really? Should they have done that to me? <laughs> but he also is going along with it, kind of. And it's that's the only way I can put it, I think, is that he goes back and forth on it. I think he points out that he has done this law of surprise thing a few times. It just only landed this one time. But he also isn't excited about it. He clearly has mixed feelings. What do you guys think about that? Is that is that where you land?
0: Yeah, I think as usual, Geralt is sort of one foot in and one foot out. Like when you're reading Question of price. I don't think you would think that he wouldn't come back. You know, he's very definitive. That's a good point. And obviously we'll see next in the next story that that story is slightly more complicated. But, like, ultimately he he didn't have any real intention or decided not to have any real intention of taking the child and making them a witcher. And he sort of, like... This person who keeps making new (laughs)
2: resolutions, (laughs) you know, but
0: like it's about other people. So he feels guilty and like, you know, it's, it all speaks to like the decency of Geralt's character, but it also is part of his struggle to, I think, really ultimately commit to something.
2: Right. He has this deep, deep Mm -hmm. regret and pain. It hurts him. Right. Water of Brocolon is a painful process. And the trial of the grasses, people like kids die.
1: Like that's that's a grief and sad, he yeah he's seen it. when he says he's seen this before you kind of get the sense that he's seen it and he's seen things like it and he's experienced something like it it didn't zap his memory but probably zap some of his memory like just cuz it's so traumatizing
2: I'm sure Gerald had friends like that that were witchers that he was close with you know And that's probably part
1: of why he has actually that's a great great point because this is almost certainly part of why he has commitment issues is the the other young witchers he became friends with as a boy and then most of them died during the same training that he survived yeah that would make it hard because that would be very formative it would happen at a very young age and obviously things that happen to you when you're really young tend to resonate more loss of innocence as well
0: right that theme Yeah, that's that's going to be a huge issue and um, something more with those memories coming back that have haven't really been articulated mm. um, so far.
2: The past really does haunt gerald doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And Everything he's old, so Geralt. it's been
1: haunting him for a long time. Right. Like that's <laughs> yeah. been like he's he's been, years, been, dude. Yeah. Like that's a lot of yeah. years to be feeling your trauma or whatever. Yeah which is part of that's a theme here too, like being you don't do you really want to be that old you know do you want us <laughs> that's what i thought about earlier too like, yeah.
2: like the lifespan of a human maybe 60 70 years isn't so bad because if you lived in 95 or 100 you start to become get jaded like Geralt is like hey yeah. can we really see systematic change and i think Geralt really does wonder that because he, he pipes up about the elves and he kind of sees a similar situation with the dryads and he's seen war in politics like we mentioned yeah, yeah, I think he takes a special
1: type, not a special type of person, but some people, yeah, they, some people would be, like, thrilled to still be alive at that age, and some people might be a little, yeah, a little tired of life. Uh, so he has I a I guess really we'll see. Let's, let's hope we all have that, uh, we have that, that choice. <laughs> Which is why so Geralt is such a
2: good guy to even have the perspective that he has after how much he's went through. Like, Mikael is right, like, Geralt is a genuinely good person. He's just been through a lot, you know? <laughs> and yeah. that's why he's so apprehensive about so many things, I think. <laughs>
1: You guys take it away with Little Red Riding Hood. Let me just say one thing. I love the uh, the original names of the story, Red Riding Hood or Little Red Cap. Those were two of the earlier versions of the name, uh, but Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf, and and McCall, are uh, you pointed out in particular the archetype of little magic, big protect or whatever. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, you know, um, like the Mandalorian uh, or big strong
0: <laughs> yes. protect little small with yes, powers. Yes, yes, yeah. So so that's
1: the, the wolf and the little. So that's inverted because the wolf is is the ally of Red Riding Hood rather than the the enemy. So very Duncan Eggish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good call. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I love,
0: I love the little Red Riding Hood parallels in the story. I think it's so interesting. Like the fact that, you know, the wolf is the protector and the wolf is the person who ultimately ends up guiding her both into and out of the forest. I kind of view Ithne as sort of a twisted grandmother, you know, character <laughs> nice. yeah. where she like, she, she does find her at the end of the road. She does go to her house. She's kind of the wolf in sheep's clothing, you know. I, that's a bit of an exaggeration. I think she's not like evil, but she is definitely she has ulterior motives for Siri. Yeah. She's not she's not everything that she seems to be. Um, and she like she wants, loves
2: Siri, but also puts her like in really precarious she, situations.
0: She wants to devour her, really. I mean, she wants to subsume her into the into the dryad life, make her literally, as we know, stop being Siri. Yeah, there's there's stuff there. Oh, and obviously there's the loss of innocence, which is, you know, obviously Little Red Riding Hood has always been a, you know, don't stray from the path, child, because you will be raped by a wolf. Um, Which also actually ties into one of the first lines in the story when, you know, Geralt's thinking of, you know, all the people who are victims of the dryads. And he says, like, never mind that you are six and we're distracted by a field of flowers, which is also part of the Little Red story where she, you know, wanders off the path because she wants to pick flowers. Ooh, nice. But um, my favorite one personally is at the end, when um, he, Geralt pulls out his medallion um, and he tells Siri to touch it, oh, she said, opening her mouth, what a dreadful wolf! What fangs he has! And I'm just <laughs> like, oh, what big <laughs> teeth you have! That's right there in the story. I love it so much.
1: That's great. That is awesome.
0: Yeah,
2: but the idea of the white wolf also being this kind of protector, too, you know, Sapkowski kind of flipping it around. And you put Fenrir in here, which I find really interesting. In, in Norse mythology, Fenrir is, of course, he breaks these chains, this Sleipnir. He's chained to the earth because he's so powerful. The dwarves think he's literally going to destroy the earth and bring Ragnarok. And yeah. if we can kind of flip it around here, Geralt is, you know, c- kind of, he's going to try to save Siri without spoiling too much. But we got this kind of sleeping wolf in Siri, this power. It's going to be unleashed, and that's in relation to the prophecy as well. It even talks yeah, about the changing so cool. of ages and the moons and this conjunction of spheres.
1: And in the the uh, real Red Riding Hood. The big bad wolf actually swallows Red Riding Hood, which is mm-hmm. and Fenrir, and Fenrir swallows the sun, which is pretty cool. So I think I, I like I like that uh, as a point of comparison as well. That's so cool <laughs> because
2: he does kind of flip it a little bit, doesn't he?
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's it goes all the way back to the very first story. This is where we get the influence of where we we pointed to how much Dracula was an influence on the on the first story, but again inverted. Instead of going around converting these girls into many vampires he's uncursing them he spends a night in the sarcophagus and just all these has got white <laughs> hair you know it's like yeah we don't have to go through it all again but it's a similar thing where the villainous character still has the aspect they still look similar to this original like the wolf is still a wolf Geralt is still a wolf this big bad wolf you know he's got the white hair he looks he looks intimidating but he's a good guy yeah <laughs> So what do we have maybe this wild swan's tale? This is cool, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. So I kind of can't really grok why this is in here other than just Sapkowski doing his like references to fairy tales type of thing. And it's another thing that like you you don't pick up on unless you know it. Um, And I didn't know this fairy tale, but I read a book called Daughter of the Forest by Juliette Mar- Marillier. And that's based on this fairy tale. But if what happens to Frexenet is basically word for word the story <laughs> in that fairy tale where a girl's brothers are cursed by a witch and turn into swans and she has to, you know, sew them nettle shirts and they have to wear the nettle shirts and then they'll turn back into humans. And it's really interesting that that the whole point of like this, of Frexenet's story is that like that's not you know I mean technically yes there was there were some of those details were there but like the whole point is that like oh all these ridiculous fairy tale elements like the shirt didn't work and then people have decided that you know a cormorant wasn't romantic enough so he, now he has to be a swan and there has to be 11 <laughs> other brothers and you know like that is something I think that's really interesting is as a commentary on sort of what Sapkowski is doing and like being becoming,
2: fun in fairy tales literally yeah
0: fairy tales and also just the way people perceive stories I think is mm. you know narrative as a whole which also kind of reflects back to you know series commentary on like well it's not a good story if it doesn't have a moral you know and you know (laughs) it's really funny funny that you mentioned (laughs) that about sapkowski because there are so many
2: fantastical elements these stories were like two thousand years ago and as time goes on they become more and more and more warped and people start to believe these more supernatural and fantastical elements about it so i do like that sapkowski is kind of like throwing it in our faces a little bit like where he's like (laughs) ah Mm-hmm. Take a look at that. <laughs> the most yeah. interesting
0: thing I ever heard about Greek myth, this is a total tangent, was that we don't actually know if the versions that we know now are the versions that were, like, the general popular versions oh, yeah. that were told back then. Because it's just what, what's come down to us. And that could have been... I mean, who knows? You know, like, we you could tell the version of, like, Orpheus and Eurydice to somebody from back then, and they'd be like, what the... F-? Like, this is not the way the story goes, you know? <laughs> and it's just so interesting to me, like, how our canon is really kind of so arbitrary.
1: That is a fantastic segue <laughs> yeah. to our next section here which is another a character that is referenced here in this in this story that has endured for nine centuries so whoa right reynard the fox is the fox in this cat fox story and reynard is just all over the place in modern times and back then reynard the fox is a literary cycle of medieval uh, allegorical tales uh, the one of the Earlier versions of the you know animals as people pops up in a number of languages Dutch English French and German so yeah 12th century we're talking about Reynard's recurring antagonist in this uh, cycle is Eisengrim the Wolf which if you If you've read farther ahead in the Witcher novels, there is a character called Isengrim, who's nicknamed the Iron Wolf. So (laughs) that's a a rather straight up bullseye there. Uh, Also, there's the Bruin the Bear, which is the origin of the word Bruin uh, for brown bear. Baldwin the Ass, uh, that's a reference to Baldwin IV, the so-called leper king, as seen in the movie Kingdom of Heaven um, with some historicity and some non-historicity. Uh, There's also Tibbert slash Tybalt the Cat, which is the inspiration for Shakespeare's Tybalt, you know, Prince of Cats or whatever. There was a Martin the Ape who had the son named Monarchy, which might be the origin of the word monkey. Reynard actually, or Renard actually became the French word for fox because this character Reynard was so popular. Like, they had a different word for fox, but this one just, like, took over. It's like how no one calls... Tissues, tissues, they call them Kleenexes. It's like it just took over. That word just took over. Oh,
0: so, that is so interesting. Renard. <laughs>
1: <Reynard,
2: laughs> le, le Renard.
1: Yes. Right. It's so cool. So Renard the Fox appeared in Shakespeare, Canterbury Tales, Goethe, Nietzsche, the show, The Magicians, and the book, uh, the sh- comic book Fables. The Sword in the Stone movie was originally going to be a Reynard the Fox movie, but they just developed it until it became, they, they merged it with the Sword in the Stone stuff, which, of course, is very fitting given all the Arthurian stuff in The Witcher. And then the Robin Hood Fox, the Fox version of Robin Hood is, is based on this. It's Reynard the Fox. Stravinsky Weird awakening
0: of many young people's sexuality. <laughs> very confusing awakening.
1: <laughs> And uh, Stravinsky wrote an actual opera ballet with Reynard the Fox as a character. Unfortunately, this character was even used in Nazi propaganda, like, geez. Uh, yes. so just really just all over the place, man. So, and, and like still now, like in modern times, there's a Renard, like two, there was one like 12 years ago, music. I couldn't possibly list all the references. I just picked some of the highlights. So it's just really an enduring character that's been around for nine centuries, y'all. It's, it's such a little cool little story within the story. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: If anyone's uh, watched Shadow and Bone or read the books on Netflix, there's, uh, don't read the books on Netflix because you can't do that. Watch the show (laughs) on Netflix and read the books. Um, (laughs) But um, those books have a a sort of in world fairy tale called The Two Clever Fox that also sort of echoes from this. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Foxes are uh, very uh, predominant and also in uh, Asian folklore as well, like the Nine Tailed Fox, and they are very mystical creatures and kind of worshipped in mythology as kind of these elegant beings.
1: Yeah. And of course, there is a rather clever fox far in our Witcher reading future in a season of storms that comes up pretty importantly. So I shall say no more.
0: The end of this story really reminds me of the end of the movie Shane, which is a Western. I didn't even look up what year it's from, but it's it's an old, it's an old movie, and it ends very um, famously with a, a, a kind of a traveling uh, cowboy person leaving a homestead that he's he's become very dear to, and the son of the family stands on the hill and yells Shane, Shane as he rides off, not looking back. In this, that's
1: the only you know. part of that movie I remember. I saw it when I was a kid, know, right? but damn that ending! It is like, oh man, that kid, what a good actor. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So uh, yeah, that there was. I don't know if that was intentional, but Siri standing on the hill calling after Geralt definitely brought me back to that.
1: Well, we could talk a little more about Frex and that. I guess we kind of covered him, but one interesting note that he is probably Kistren's uncle-in-law because his his sister married the king, so that's probably his. As Kistren's probably his her son, but it might be a remarriage, so we're not sure about that. So he would have been Siri's you know, uncle-in-law-in-law. <laughs> so, but not.
0: Fraxinet. I think what really rubs me the wrong way about him... Well, okay, two things. One, we see all these very innocent people who die in this party. The boy, even the the, the serving man, you know, um, and it's weird or it, feel, it feels somewhat unjust in a way that Fraxinet is the one who survives. Not that it is necessarily unjust, but that's the way I read it. But also... He has that really strange conversation about his sister, yeah. who I guess is married to the king. And he, you know, he calls her like, she's an idiot and perfect material for the king. Also, she's dying. And he doesn't even seem particularly moved by that. Um, Geralt seems sadder about that than he does. And I think that's probably where most of my like, am not sure what this guy, is. I don't know why. I agree. That, that, come from.
1: that was a strange moment. I'm not sure if he's just like, going to be generous, he's resigned to it. Um, yeah,
0: you, you could read it like that. That He's just not showing emotion in front of Carol. He's Geralt's stoic
1: play. about it, but I, yeah, but I agree with you. Because he doesn't seem all like, he seems like a person who just says what's on his mind and he seems like he kind of wears his emotions on his sleeves. He seems like kind of extroverted. So I kind of lean your way. That's like, that's a little troubling. But I mean, on the other hand, I don't know, maybe he just really just doesn't like her maybe. But it doesn't. I don't know, it seems dark <laughs> though. It's, it's really, it's pretty hard to like excuse that.
0: Yeah. Um. So the other thing I noticed, and this is really random, but the word urchin... Occurs multiple times in the story in, in a different in a couple different contexts. So one, it's like the you know the terrible urchin that the dryad set up, the spike ball that sweeps you off the path, impaled. But then you know I think he also calls Siri an urchin or refers to her as an urchin. Like there's the the word pops up a couple of times. Again, we're dealing with translation, so I don't know if this is Sapkowski his intention, but to me it was very sort of like a meta clue to the mm. reader. You know before we know, I mean most of us knew who siri was right away but like <laughs> if you didn't like you know yeah. just ping just that little hint there that is you know kind of even present in geralt's experience but he's just not picking it up
1: nice yes i think yeah that's pretty cool i agree with that i, I wonder when, when
2: you, of Erlenwald. When, you <laughs>
1: when you said when you, i saw you write that note and i went and i was able to read the story one more time and i looked for that when you, you know, with, with your note in mind, it was like, yeah, mm, that could be, that could be. <laughs>
2: it seems like something well. that might, like, if you didn't put it in a note, like we didn't try to be like, ah, oh, that might be something. Maybe we're reaching. But then if you think about it, you go back and you're like, okay, you've talked yourself into being, it's been something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all destiny, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You, the elder folk, like to say that hatred is alien to you, that it is a feeling known only to humans, but it is not true. You know what hatred is, and are capable of hating. You merely evince it a little differently, more wisely and less savagely, but because of that, it may be more cruel."
1: That is good. <laughs> like when I was writing a thing about trying to make a point about how good their debates are. I'm like, yeah, it's just like every time one of them like gets this makes this great point, And then it's like, oh, that that's an argument winner right there. And then, nope, someone comes back is like, God, but you haven't thought of this. It's like, oh, damn, nice point. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> it's like a it's like a sword fight. But, you know, they're not trying to kill each other. But it is like you see it, the, it's a
0: verbal duel for sure. Yeah. And they're each trying. to. I mean, there is there are very high stakes. They're each trying to skewer the that's other's worldview.
1: That is that you're right. You're right. They're not trying to kill each other, but they are trying to deal. Yeah, it is. Like, Gerald's like, you should assimilate, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. it's really a big if he could be right about that, it would be a huge deal. Uh, There's there's obviously the accepting of that. It's another thing. But you could say those
2: words were pretty savage. No, they <laughs> really so, did uh, cut though.
1: There were strong <laughs> words, right?
0: Geralt is really interesting in this because he stands in for the dryads as man, like Ithne is like referring to him as the generic man or whatever. But he's not. He's rejected by so much of humanity as a non-human, and like I just find that that dichotomy really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, and, and I like his. to Brienne about, you know, he's clearly like in awe or in respecting of their marksmanship. They're clearly incredible. But there's that line, there's that passage where he tells her about the impersonal nature of killing with arrows and how like, no, you can't see it that way. You have to accept these consequences. You have to, if you're killing someone, it's you doing it. It's not the bow. It's not the arrow. It's a little bit of a, maybe even a modern analog to how people discuss guns sometimes about whether it's the gun or the person, you know, which we're obviously not going to get into that debate, but you can recognize that that is something that gets brought up amongst that kind of feels kind of like a, the man who
2: passes the sentence must swing the sword type of deal.
1: Like, do you yeah. take, do you take responsibility for that? Like,
2: how do you feel about that? Right. Like, yeah, that's
1: a very good point. Uh, and speaking of death here, the, in terms of like lore, the dryads bond with a tree and bad things can happen if their bonded tree is cut down, It's you know, which is another thing you could, if you want to imagine Game of Thrones here, like you lose your skin changer animal and you go nuts because of the pain or what have you, because um, you feel the pain through that bond. There's other parallels in other fantasy worlds like the, the Warder-Aes bond in Wheel of Time, for example, have, is, is somewhat like that. If one half of the bond is, is killed or suffers greatly, the other half feels it. Uh, so it's different, though, with a tree, because what we're more used to is an animal or a human or two humans in other fantasy. So that's harder to conceptualize. I think as has a triple tree. So that's that kind of shows how strong she is. She's got, <laughs> like, no wonder she, everybody she's the lady. She's the queen of Brooklyn. Like, she's got three trees, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that really fascinates me about their lore is the the idea that they're now mating with humans, like humans are their sires these days. And in the past it was elves, but what else was it? Or what was it before that? And just the idea that they can have these different species based on different styles. It's just, I'm fascinated by it. It's almost it like the Amazonians from
2: like, Wonder Woman. Like you see all females. Fantasy and elements like, of bloodlines
1: yeah. <laughs> and, and magical DNA that, uh, but in a in a more like survivalist way, like a more like survival of the species way. It's like, they have to do this. In other contexts, it's like jerks experimenting with magic and just doing, you know, just trying to like benefit somehow. This is like, well, we have to do this. This is literally how we propagate, you know? (laughs) I I don't know there's a point to that. It's just super (laughs) interesting. (laughs) If we get into the the stuff about Converting sick children—that's where we start to see some of the conver- some of the um, Native American themes that are really strong here. But if you think about the, their attitude towards children and how they're like human children, like they don't think it's a big deal. And we we obviously as humans balk at that. But if you look at the fact that other mothers and fathers are delivering their sick kids to them, like some sort of forest orphanage, like how are they supposed to think humans take their kids seriously? When they just abandon them like that and say, here, you take them, we're using you as a disease vector. We're using this helpless child that's sick as a way to make you sick. This shows how much we care about our children, you know, like, how are they supposed to look at that as anything but gross and like, well, you don't love your children either. So why should we treat them special given that you do that? Ooh, pretty powerful. <laughs> and then we have Geralt would have mated with Eithne's daughter. We have that reference there, but he, you know, he can't do that. And then she's killed in some pointless battle. That's part of the destiny thing that, uh, that Eithne sees. One of the things from her perspective, that looks like this destiny that Siri is for them is that she sees this as a replacement, as a stand in like, oh, you couldn't have a child with Moran, my daughter, but you brought a Siri instead, who's maybe even better. <laughs> So the way that relates to directly to some Native American themes, I guess this is a decent place to jump back in. We know that uh, that was a strategy used by, I guess, the U.S. military. I'm not sure. I guess it was the military that gave actually gave blankets that had smallpox in you know, infected blankets to Native Americans who were more susceptible than uh, the white European white folk because they had had more exposure to it and specifically smallpox is mentioned here as one of the diseases that the human children that are brought to Eithne and her people have. Um, and also, of course, the scalp hunting thing. That's an inversion because it's the dryads who get scalped, but I think uh, white settlers started scalping as a response to natives doing that to them. So uh, either way, it certainly fits here. Eithne's same like re- reluctance to accept any deal from humans because she knows they're going to renege is absolutely the case of Native American, the deals that, you know, these treaties that the U.S. government had with uh, natives. And some of these, it's not even like the government's necessarily the fault. Usually it was. But for example, the show Deadwood, which many of you have even probably seen, but if you haven't, it's pretty accurate in terms of the setup, is a town that formed around wealth seeking in non-U.S. territory. Like the U.S. didn't sanction Deadwood. It was just a bunch of people went there and made a town. The government couldn't stop them. There's no real way to do that. And the Sioux couldn't stop them, even though it's their territory, because there's so few of them. And the reason this all relates back to this story is that the reason people were going there was for gold. They found gold in, these, in, this, in the Black Hills. And so Ameri- Americans were like nuts for gold. And that is very much reflected here in the story, because she talks about... uh has a quote that says, in marble tombs on piles of yellow metal and shining gems in reference to all these dead kings of Krag-On. An. And the translation for the Sioux word for gold is the yellow metal that drives white people crazy. So we have the, the phrase yellow metal in both of these cases. And well, yeah, that is one of the things I think he says. He's like, yeah, I know what he wants from us. He wants wood. He wants mineral wealth. He wants this and that. So completely lines up with all that. And it's very sad.
2: There are really interesting characters to drive, aren't they?
1: yeah uh, they're super super neat i like it kind of works like we said earlier about they're like a kind of an evolution of the elves even though they're not related that way within the story it's just the way he treats them within the story the themes the way the themes culminate
0: and it's interesting because not to not spoil anything but there's there is a character later in the books who brings all of these threads like the human and the dryad and the elf threads together really interestingly
1: good point one important thing here, dryads in folklore compared to real dryads, real dryads, compared to the witcher dryads. In human world, earth world, uh, dryads, that word is Greek. They're a type of nymph, which is, <laughs> you know, as we covered before, that's a tree spirit. Every tree spirit species has a nymph. So dryads are the oak tree spirit. But in the witcher world, Dryads can be any tree. Ithnes is an oak, but they don't have to all be oaks. But in, the, like in Greek mythology, that's how that works. The, the word drees means oak. And uh, apparently in Celtic myth, it's like druid means oak. Wid, the, the word wid means knower. So it's like oak knower. <laughs> so druid can translate to oak knower. So that's kind of cool.
2: Uh, oak is also often uh, associated with uh, honor, nobility, and wisdom. Yeah. And lo- lo- yeah longevity, cool. like this longevity. So that's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, which obviously fits Ithne quite well as, a, mm-hmm. as a far in terms of symbolo- sim- ah, symbolic themes. Uh, dryads pop up in places like Paradise Lost and of Green Gables, Chronicles of Darnia. You know, there's even Roman. There's like Roman the versions. sacred of to Zeus versions. as well. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like Burma, like as in Myanmar, Burmese, they have uh, versions of this. Like they have what's called green spirits, which are tree, basically just tree spirits. Uh, so tree spirits also exist in like Japan. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. This place, on gets mentioned briefly. It's uh, a good example of what I think he's talking about, how like, who knows what's happened? Yes, human civilization is inexorable, but not exclusively so. He's like, no, Geralt's like, no, it's it's gonna, you know, you guys are, on the brink and there's no stopping humanity, but she points to this place where this place of Kragan, where the, the cup was found. This is where the, the cup that they drink from comes from. And she's like, look, there's buried Kings there who no one's ever heard of. And there's like wealth and a city used to exist there. And now the forest is growing there. So like, don't tell me that, you know, the forest can't make a comeback or that we can't make a comeback because we clearly, it's clearly happened before. That's a a good point. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: I got strong Lord of the Rings vibes from this.
1: Ooh. Uh,
0: Like, I think there's one, I haven't read it in a really long time, but, like, there's one part where they're talking about, like, why don't we just throw the ring into the sea? And they're like, well, in (laughs) 20,000 years, the sea will be land, so that won't work. (laughs) And the elves are like, this is significant to us. And everyone else is like... (sighs) okay real quick we've got Aziz, uh, i have to say, i don't like anything that you've written in this next thing. <laughs> none of those things i enjoy i don't like it at all <laughs>
1: <laughs> what mccall is referring to is the two or three paragraphs i wrote about giant centipedes <laughs> so i'll try to be quick like the giant well, centipedes we're, we're, themselves. we're
2: gonna do a monster episode
1: we'll yeah that
0: <laughs> oh thanks great guys can't wait
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the giant centipede slash myriapod slash scolopendra slash igern. Igern was the word that Brianne uses. Uh, they're all kind of the same thing like scientifically a myriapod is like is any of the different things like millipede or centipede or whatever which is a type of arthropod it's funny centipede means 100 feet millipede means 1000 feet myriapod means 10,000 feet <laughs> but these are of course not literal they don't really have 10,000 feet millipedes are like eating dead stuff and leaves while centipedes are venomous hunters which is pretty He's perfect like for yeah it's pretty perfect for fantasy worlds like the basic attitude of a, of a centipede all like real centipedes and there's like 8,000 species of centipede in the world. Their basic attitude is if I can eat it, I eat it. <laughs> if I can kill it, I kill it and eat it. They'll just eat anything they can. So if they're big enough to eat something, they will. And of course, so you make them big and there you go.
2: Now on to lore.
1: Yes, let's, let's, <laughs> let's move on past that. I uh, literally, I literally I, thought I, of a I centipede. I think is. everyone
0: should have to experience the quite large ones existed on Earth in prehistoric times Yeah. Uh, paragraph that you included there, Aziz. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay, yeah, there were some really big ones, not as big as this one, but there were ones that were like several feet long. And there are ones that live even now that are alive currently on this planet that can catch bats in flight. Yes, there are centipedes crawling around right now that can snatch a bat out of midair. Another thing they do is they crawl up on the ceiling where a bat's hanging and they just like wrap themselves around the bat's legs. So the bat's just like stuck and they just like. And
2: oh my we're going to need a third member of the podcast to try
1: now. Mikal is now terrorized. For all of this. I don't like it. <laughs> and they're so hardy. They live in the Arctic Circle, jungles, deserts. Like you uh, can't stop them. You know when SpongeBob <laughs> goes backwards
2: into the door and he's like yeet and he does the finger guns and he like closes the door behind him? That's how I kind of envisioned what Mikal is trying to get on.
1: Uh, I see Sweet Melicia in the chat says, "Yeah, it's gonna be a no for me."
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got some real quick notes on herb lore, which is much, much, much less terrifying. We talked about oak trees already. Blackthorn. This one's awesome. Uh, Blackthorn's nickname is Dark Crone of the Woods. It's a reference to the the triple female spirit, mother maiden, crone dichotomy or uh, not dichotomy, trichotomy, a uh, triad. And so it's sacred to the crone, which is, a, you know, this is a Celtic thing, so that it works out really well. Now, Brayenne and the other two dryads emerge from Blackthorn when we, when they first meet Carol. That's their introduction. And the one of the associated phrases with Blackthorns is, be ready or brace yourself. So <laughs> right when they emerge, it's pretty perfect. And he, But the symbolism behind Blackthorn, this is where it's a real bullseye. Is the black thorns are, are perfect for marking borders. That's because they grow kind of on the outskirts of forests and they offer great camouflage. So that fits really well. But one of the major symbols is the inevitability of death. Oh, what what <laughs> like that's literally sort of destiny right right on there plus protection and revenge strife negativity bad luck uh, and balance between light and dark so those are some of those kind of fit but that that uh, inevitably of death is like woo. and the marking of borders because it happens on the, the outskirts of broccalon is a big deal here hornbeam siri is caught uh next to a hornbeam tree when they meet her. And that's the strongest tree that exists in Europe. And symbols include longevity, growth, and strength. And it's a top choice for small birds trying to hide, which, remember, Brianne said, you should have gone up the tree. (laughs) Much later in the series, Series is going to be associated with with the swallow. So she is Mm -hmm. kind of a small bird herself.
0: Yeah. She's also called, he refers to her as a, she smelled like a damp sparrow.
1: Oh, yeah. Totally. Good catch. That's nice. That's right on. Eithne, is wearing a thing of clover and heather now we've covered heather before it's a protective thing and it's also about positivity clover is a has anti-negativity is a symbol so you have positivity and anti-negativity together which are kind of the same thing and all clover is also a protective uh thing and of course four leaf clover it's it's a symbol of good luck and good fortune they they spent the night bran and and Geralt, before meeting siri on dried bracken which is Sort of a symbol of uh, bracken is a, a con- another concealant, something that is associated with like invisibility, so that 's cool like uh, that's a good place to sleep, you know undisturbed I guess, and then last but not least broccolon itself it's it's really cool because science tells us that the way a lot of these forests and jungles work together like multiple it's not just like a symbiotic relationship between two organisms it's like a multi symbiosis between multiple organisms that is hard to even keep track of so when Geralt thinks Broccolon is alive. It's you could, It's not wrong to say that's metaphorical, but you could defend that as a literal statement. Everything about it is alive, and as a, as a whole, it's alive, because it creates life in a way that wouldn't exist individually. Debates of the nature of life in the real world on things like aspen groves, for example. Like if you've ever seen an aspen grove, they're all perfectly aligned and they all meet in the root system and scientists debate whether or not it counts as a single organism or not. It's like, is each individual aspen tree separate like most trees? Or is it the fact that they are so lined up, is that a sign that they're kind of unique, uh, united as one organism? This is really on theme because the nature of dryad life is so different. It fits in really well with their being close to nature like this. That really fits in with the idea that Dryads don't recognize a lot of human conceptual ideas because their world is so very alien and different and, and awesome, though, <laughs> and cool. It's
2: a really friggin' yeah. cool setting, man, Mike. Yeah. N- not something that we get to visit a lot, either.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, we yeah. get Mirkvid later on, but it's <laughs> not quite yeah. the same. And <laughs> Wonder where you got that one from.
2: And places with giant centipedes, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> what?
1: One last comment on that. I just thought it was cool that there, despite the, this vast forest, Sapkowski didn't give a lot of different like herbs and trees. But I think that's partly on purpose because of this unity within this like ecosystem that he presents Broccolon as a living one kind of singular living organism, even though it's made up of all these contiguous parts. So that kind of works for me. Uh, I like that. Hell yeah! So was it funny? is the question at first i was like i was like this one wasn't that funny it was kind of serious and 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 mccall you were like yeah it's kind of sweet and then (laughs) like two days ago in chat in in our group chat i was like i take back what i said about this one not being funny this one's funny it's just funny maybe in different ways but
0: (laughs) it's more situational i think
1: yeah it goes back and forth. Yeah, It's like what you said earlier, like how we were talking about the evolution, how this one's an evolution of edge of the world. And you saw it like, it's kind of very distinct how it goes from the silly to the serious. This one more weaves the two together um, mm. back yeah, and forth. For sure. Yeah. So that's part of why it's maybe a little more sophisticated.
2: So let's start off with this funny moment. As soon as Geralt figures uh, out oh, she's the princess, Frey was looking for, he gets less friendly with her. And if he perhaps <laughs> tries to provoke her with her brother, where are you from? I'm asking you, scamp.
1: <laughs> you scamp. <laughs> the, the things they call each other are so funny. <laughs> you tyke. <Okay. laughs> you. Which, is, which is like
2: a pretty aggressive word, scamp. I don't know about you guys. I don't think it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <You> <laughs>
1: scamp. Yeah, Siri's got some good lines, doesn't she?
2: Before I went there, they showed me a painting, but he wasn't fat in the painting. <laughs>
1: Kistrin is still a child like you. In a few years, he might turn into a handsome young man. Then they can send me another painting in a few years. (laughs) She's got a point there. (laughs) You saved me from that centipede. Ugh, I almost died of fright. You almost died. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good.
2: (laughs) It's like he's completely oblivious he didn't die to a giant centipede.
1: If you guys remember, there was the, the fake wedding that Sepkowski wrote for his friend that was just a, a joke of Jennifer and Geralt getting married, and every ever like every character that's ever been in any of the stories shows up as a guest. Even like people who are totally evil, like you know, well, we won't say who, but there's characters who show up that you're just like, well, they're showing up. It's like yeah, the whole thing is a joke. Frexanet shows up with Brienne. It's and they're they're like a happily married couple. <laughs> they have five to six triad kids, and she's pregnant with another one. <laughs> so it's like. Uh... <laughs> Talk about yeah! He's just going over the top with the silliness there. Just like yeah, just imagine if everything worked out in the most fairy tale happy ending possible way. This is what it would look like. <laughs>
0: like... Um, I have a major soft spot for like all of the contrast between Geralt and Siri. Like the the conversation where, well, first of all, her line where she's like. How am I supposed to sleep without a story? Honestly, like, you, know, like, you dumbass. You know? <laughs> just like, it's so, it's so good. The part where he tries to give her food and he's like, here, have one apple. Ew, what's that? No, I'm not going to eat that. Okay, I'll have the apple. Wait, why can't I have both apples? Okay, fine, have both apples. Like, it's just such a funny, like, back and forth. Yes. And then just this, uh, this particular moment with Mao Sack I really like where uh, she says, did Grandma Ma send you, Uncle? She's very worried. Not very. Mousek smiled. She's too busy soaking her switch. <laughs> the way to Sintra, Siri, will take us some time. Devote it to thinking up an explanation for your deeds. It ought to be, if you want to benefit from my counsel, a very short and matter-of-fact explanation. <laughs> one which can be given very, very quickly. For in any case, I judge you will be screaming at the end of it, Princess, very, very loudly. <laughs>
2: Oh, man, I, lo- I love so their good. relationship. It's, yeah.
1: They have a really but, cool friendship, don't they? They <laughs> do. When Frexanet mentions that he was a cormorant and Siri's like, you were a cormorant. And it just makes me think of Monty Python. Have you guys seen Monty Python, The Meaning of Life? Uh, there's that scene where they have the kids in the religious school and they do their they, they praise God who do this long thing where they talk about how great God is. And it's like, oh, Lord, you are so great. You are so big. Uh, you know, gosh, we're all really impressed down here. And then at the end of it, John Cleese gets up and is like, attention, two boys were caught. Rubbing linseed oil into the school cormorant. <laughs> the c- cormorant is off limits. <laughs> and at the time I first saw that movie, I didn't know what a cormorant was. I assumed it was like a building of some kind because it's boys in a school, like not allowed to go there. And I'm like, wait, it's a bird. So I just you just combine these two things in his series lines, like, "You were a cormorant," and, <laughs> and he could be like, "Well, I got better." Sapkowski
2: <laughs> so does love his
1: birds
0: and his references and, and like- <laughs>
1: And how about how how about his like his his one remaining bird like aspect that stuck with him after the curse was broken? How he just loves to go eat raw fish. He's like, yeah, I just I just go every once in a while. I just go down and eat a bunch of chum and <laughs> raw herring. It's so good. <laughs> uh.
2: This has been a super fun podcast. A really interesting story that we like. We said it's kind of a two parter. And then next time we got, what do we have, Aziz? We have one more story to finish for Destiny, then Blood of Elves.
1: Yeah. There was a cool mention of someone cursed in this one. One of the dryads said, by the great tree. And I wonder if she's referring to the great tree that we see right at the start of blood of elves uh, not in the pro there's a prologue first but then chapter one after the prologue as you guys may remember it starts with a big discussion under this great tree which i th- might be the same tree i'm not sure it's supposedly the first tree on the continent so the dryads would think of such thing as awesome so yeah we're gonna have so much fun with that and all the other stuff that's just one detail of many that we can have fun with
2: appreciate all of you for joining us of course anchor.fm podcast a surprise has the links to itunes spotify pretty much anywhere that you want to listen i also have a playlist you can go there hit that support button one dollar five dollars or ten dollars if you guys want to support us you don't have to do that though if you do really want to help us rate our podcast let us know what you think if you liked it give us a positive rating if you didn't well that's up to you too we hope that you like it of course and uh yeah spread the word if you guys have any friends that are into the witcher let them know about the podcast and uh, we'll make some more friends we're trying to grow this fun community like we said only one more short story left and then we get into Blood of elves thanks everyone for joining us uh if you do want to check out aziz mm-hmm. history of westeros uh Mikal incas rain on twitter Join us at the podcast surprise on Facebook. We just hit over a hundred members, I think, right? So yeah, just send us a fr- uh, friend request there. We do awesome discussions. Me and Ryan talk. Me and Ryan Burns talk about The Witcher Three, the video games. We talk about the books. We talk about the show. Come hang out with us and uh, join our community. Thanks again, everyone. We really appreciate your support. Have a great night. Thanks for joining us. See you in the next one. Bye. Bye. <laughs> good night, or good morning. Good night, morning. or good
0: morning. <laughs>